Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. There's this scene in The Godfather that you might remember where Don Corleone gets together the heads of the five families to sit down and resolve their disputes. Don Barsini, I want to thank you for helping me organize this meeting here today. And also the other heads of the five families in New York and New Jersey. And it's high stakes. Corleone is ticked off. His son has just died because of this issue these families are having. And I'm going to blame some of the people in this room. And then I do not forgive. But they talk it out and come to a deal. But that aside... They make peace. Let me say that I swear on the souls of my grandchildren that I will not be the one to break the peace we've made here today. Today, there's another one of those meetings happening, but it's not with Don Corleone. It's not with the five families. And we almost certainly are not going to see any sort of a deal. I know he speaks of bipartisanship. I'd like to talk to him about infrastructure. I'd like to talk to him about the border crisis. President Biden, I don't think, believes in bipartisanship. President Biden is set to meet with the big four at the White House for the first time to talk about his $4 trillion infrastructure plan. That includes his Democratic allies, Pelosi and Schumer, and the Republican congressional leaders, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. This plan is bloated, unfocused. It's not a targeted recipe for better public works. And they both do not like the plan. Serious bipartisan legislation to rebuild American infrastructure could have a big impact at a fraction, a fraction of the cost. In fact, they're all so far apart on this right now that congressional reporter Sarah Ferris says basically the best case scenario from today's infrastructure talks is nobody storms out. Even if they can just say they saw ways to move forward together or they saw any kind of reason to keep talking about this issue, that is good for Democrats. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Sarah Ferris on the first Big Four meeting of the Biden administration and why, if you're hoping for big movement on a bipartisan infrastructure deal, you're probably in for a disappointment on par with The Godfather Part three. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So, Sarah, to understand why we're probably not going to see a whole lot come out of this meeting and why sort of the best that Biden can hope for is for things to really just stay positive and not necessarily to see a new deal or anything. I was hoping you could walk me through the big characters here in the big four. What perspective and motivations they're bringing to the White House today, and why their presence is important. 
So today's meeting is a really important one. This is the first time that Biden will be sitting down with the Republican leaders of Congress in addition to the Democratic leaders who he's already been meeting with. Mm -hmm. So in the room will be Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. And these are obviously the biggest players on not only the infrastructure package, but basically everything that has to get to Joe Biden's desk this year. So it it really has to go well (laughs) for this. to have some good signs for the next um, at least two years. Mm -hmm. So what the Democrats are bringing into this meeting is, at least for uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's perspective, uh, he actually does need these talks to at least be bipartisan for a little bit, Mm -hmm. because he is in charge of this caucus uh, in the Senate that has a very tenuous hold on its majority, of course. Uh They, They can't lose a single vote. And right now, there is at least one Democrat who actually wants to see these infrastructure talks involve Republicans. And to be clear, that That one Democratic senator who you're talking about is Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who's kind of built up a reputation over this past year of being the Democrat who will, you know, hold up legislation wanting bipartisan talks to be a part of things. Yes. So Chuck Schumer would like to see these talks go well. He would like to see Mitch McConnell have at least a little bit of enthusiasm for for some kind of infrastructure bill. So that's Schumer and the Democratic end of the Senate. What about McConnell? Where is he on all of this? So um, for McConnell, of course, there is an interest in his caucus on infrastructure. And that kind of varies depending on who you're talking to. There's definitely some in his caucus that have no interest in um, the kind of big government spending on roads and bridges that they're talking about right now. But there are some uh, more moderate Republican senators. I'm thinking Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Bill Cassidy. These guys are in conversations right now to actually get some of this done. And Mm. they're talking right now Six hundred billion, seven hundred billion—that's still a lot of money. So right now, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell really does have an, an interest in at least seeing how these talks go. He's not going to be making any commitments one way or another, but because there are a group of his own caucus members interested in this, uh, it's not really in, in his interest to shut these down right now. Uh, again, it is really early, but we could see some interest on his side. All right, that covers the Senate end of the negotiations. What about the House? Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her counterpart, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. So on the House side, they have a similarly very tough margin. So Speaker Nancy Pelosi can really only afford to lose a couple of votes in the House. It's very, very tight. Mm-hmm. That said... um, there is not the kind of bipartisan behind the scenes workings as the Senate. I mean, of course, there are some House members who are involved in some of these conversations. They would like to see it be bipartisan. They have their own ideas for what it could look like and how you can get both parties on, on board. Uh-huh. But the reality is things are, are so much more likely to be a party line vote in the House uh, because the Republicans do not generally uh, across the board have interest in helping Democrats keep their majority next year. Mm. The only thing that is on Kevin McCarthy these mind right now is the midterms. He wants to be Speaker of the House. And having Republicans in the House go on board with a massive infrastructure package, providing cover to Democrats for this kind of spending, um, the Republicans would much rather just attack the Democrats for spending. Uh, they would much rather use this as, as political attacks and help them to just capture the couple of seats that they need to reclaim the majority next year. Hmm. So it sounds like at least... Politically, you have a situation where on the Senate side, there's more of a desire to try to go bipartisan. Obviously, Biden wants that, too, or at least the appearance of it. You know, he's 
pledged to work across the aisle, has been holding meetings on this all week. But then on the House side, for both parties, it's more like stand your ground in hopes of being in charge next year. Yes. What about the policy end of things? Like politics aside, in a vacuum where maybe they're more like the five families in in The Godfather, like they could all just hash out their differences on this. What are the big policy sticking points on this infrastructure package? So there's really two big sticking points. The first one is obviously the price tag. Democrats and Republicans can't agree on how much money they're willing to put forward right now. There's already been trillions of dollars that have been spent by this Congress over the time uh, during the pandemic. And for a lot of Republicans, that's enough. And that's more than enough. They are not eager to see another trillion dollars be spent anywhere. Um, that's just their philosophy. And, and Democrats say that there should be even more. And they say this is the time to really invest in some of these um, lagging problems, whether it's roads and bridges, whether it's childcare, whether it's community colleges, they say this is the time to really shore up all of these different parts of the U.S. that can make the economy competitive with other countries and just to improve things that have been broken for a long time in the country, you know. Uh-huh. And the other really big sticking point, of course, is how you pay for a package of this size. So um, Democrats and Republicans have fundamentally different ways of going about paying for this. Democrats say for one, they can use deficit spending and they are eager to look at things like reforming the tax code. They want to reverse some of the, the tax cuts that had been implemented by the Republicans 2017. So the Republicans, of course, have no interest in doing this. And so, of course, the, the scope of the package and then the, the paying for the package are two of the biggest parts of this. And the fact that they can't agree on this is really doesn't bode well for the the negotiations going forward. There might be some areas of interest where some Republican senators say that they do agree that the nation's highways should have more money or that uh, they can see a way where broadband should get um, an injection of cash right now, especially as people are working from home in the pandemic. But if that's where the agreement ends, then I don't see how they can come up with one of these really big, massive packages that can get bipartisan buy-in. And they're talking about ways to get around that. They're talking about, hey, let's do maybe be more than one bill. And Republicans can back one of the bills. Democrats can can carry the other ones. They could do it in their budget process that allows them to not have any Republican votes. But at the end of the day, these are the kinds of issues that they're unlikely to solve in today's meeting. These just go um, much broader than, than a single bill. And these are philosophical differences between the two parties. Sarah Ferris, Thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today, former Trump officials are planning to defend their actions during the January 6th insurrection at a congressional hearing. According to prepared testimony obtained by Politico, former acting defense secretary Christopher Miller plans to tell lawmakers today that despite questions that have been raised about a delay in approving the deployment of the National Guard to the Capitol, he stands by, quote, every decision he made and that, quote, our nation's armed forces are to be deployed for domestic law enforcement only when all civilian assets are expended and only as the absolute last resort. Meantime, former acting attorney general Jeffrey Rosen plans to tell lawmakers he believes that the Justice Department had adequately prepared for the contingencies ahead of January 6th, even though there was, quote, considerable uncertainty 
about the number of people who were going to come to Washington, who they were and what they would actually do, noting that more than 500 Justice Department employees were sent to the Capitol on January 6th to restore order. And the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Transportation both say they're taking actions to make more gasoline available for sale on the East Coast in hopes of averting fuel shortages as the Colonial Pipeline remains almost entirely shuttered by last week's cyber attack. The steps include an EPA fuel waiver allowing retailers in D.C. and urban parts of Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia to sell dirtier burning gasoline than ozone pollution regulations would normally allow. Separately, DOT says it's considering a temporary and targeted waiver of the Jones Act, a much-debated law that forbids foreign-owned, operated, or built ships from carrying goods between U.S. ports. States including Virginia have also issued emergency declarations allowing their own agencies to waive rules to ease fuel backlogs. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, tell a friend to check out the show and subscribe. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.